الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين We now have another lesson from the tafsir series that we're doing. Remember, in Ramadan, we're doing it twice a week, every Tuesday night and every Friday night. Walilailhamd. Uh, we have reached Surah Al-Sharh. Uh, some of them called it Surah Al-Sharh. It was also called Surah Al-Inshirah. And it's also known by the beginning of the Surah Alam Nashrah. Alam Nashrah like Sadrak. And approximately Surah Al-Sharh comes about of a, qu- a quarter of the way into Juz Amma. So roughly we have finished there or thereabouts 25% of Juz Amma by the grace of Allah and His mercy and His fadl. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're going to come to this at the end like Allah which has said فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ When you finish something, get right into the next one. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the tawfiq to be able to continue with this series and to improve it and to uh, for Allah to teach us what will benefit us and to benefit us with what He teaches us and to increase us in knowledge and to give us the ability to act upon it. Surah Al-Sharh or Al-Shirah Alam Nashrah like Sadrak is a surah which is Makkiyah. It was revealed to the Prophet during the time the Prophet was in Mecca. And the topic of the surah is what Allah Azza wa Jal gave to the Prophet and he blessed him with salawatullahi wa salamu both things that in the past i.e. that had happened and the future which was to happen and what is obligatory from shukr from showing gratitude for those blessings and turning to Allah in hope and in fear al-raghbah wal-rahbah turning to Allah in fear and in hope and the dedication to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And although this is talking about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we're going to come to a qa'ida, a principle that was mentioned by al-Shatibi, it was also mentioned by Imam ibn al-Qayyim rahimahumullahu ta'ala, that whatever is given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that his ummah has a hadh, a nasib from that, they have a part of it and a portion of it uh, according to the extent that they follow the Prophet ﷺ. That is, of course, when there is no specific evidence to make it unique to the Prophet. ﷺ. So we have uh, Surah Al-Sharh uh, or Al-Inshirah, and it's also called Alam Nashrah. It begins with a question Alam, haven't we? And you can take a principle here. And this principle is true for Arabic in the Arabic language that whenever you have a negative along with a question, haven't we, then the meaning here in terms of the Quran is a positive. In other words, it means we have. And there is a large group of the Mufassirin, that's how they made tafsir. They said, Alam Nashrah, Alam Nashrah, Qad Sharahna. They said that have we not means we certainly have. Have we not means we certainly have. Have we not alam nashrah? 
Have we not, and I'm just going just gonna to bring it a little bit sort of into sort of pseudo-English here. Have we not done sharh of your chest? Have we not done sharh of your chest? I, we certainly have done this thing, sharh. And the sharh here, uh, the scholars, they have a number of different ibarat, different expressions they use for this. Nawarnahu, we have brightened it, filled your chest with light. We have made it wasa'nahu, we have ex made it expansive. And the meaning of expansive here, we say expansive because Allah didn't physically make the chest of the Prophet bigger. But the word expansive here, it's in opposition to a word which is ضيق, ضيق, which is constriction in the chest. And subhanAllah, you know, why we're doing this, you know, during these restrictions in COVID-19 and you're seeing these people who are all having breathing difficulties. They're struggling to breathe and they can't barely catch their breath. The amount of strain mentally when you feel like your chest is being squeezed is one of the most beautiful expressions to express extreme pressure and worry and concern and anxiety. It's like you can't catch your breath. It's like your chest is being squeezed. It's like there isn't enough room for you to breathe. And then you imagine when a person, subhanAllah, they can suddenly breathe and it feels like their lungs have got all the space to expand. And it's not about the breathing, it's about the heart. But it's just that expression. I wanted you to understand the expression, sadr, that the expression that your chest feels like it's under pressure. Like you imagine like someone sitting on your chest, you can't breathe, your heart you know, struggles to pump blood around the body, you start to become worried and panicking because you feel that pressure on your chest. That's what is intended by Dīq al-Sadr. And the opposite of Dīq al-Sadr is Inshirah al-Sadr. Is what Allah mentioned here, Alam nashrah lak sadrak. Did we not certainly expand your chest? Did we not put light in it? Did we not make it, make you feel comfortable? And ultimately, there is a benefit here. Some of the scholars, they mention, some of them, they call it Ar-Rahatul Qalbiyyah. For your heart to be at peace. For your heart to be at peace. They said that you can't concentrate and you can't use your full faculties, your intellect and your mind. You can't use those when you have pressure on your chest. When someone is sitting on your chest, you can't barely breathe and you're, you feel like someone is squeezing you. Then your mind goes. You lose your ability to think. You lose, you lose your ability to appreciate things, you lose your ability to, to reflect and ponder because of the pressure that is on you. And that's why it is an absolutely beautiful and very accurate expression to say that when a person is in a situation of hardship and suffering, they're going through deeq as-sadr. It's, as it's, it's as though there is a pressure upon their heart and a pressure upon their chest. And Allah Azza wa Jal relieved this from the Prophet ﷺ. Did we not open up your chest? Did we not give you space to be able to breathe? Did we not relax you? Did we not give you nur? Did we not make it remove your anxiety and your worries? All of this comes under uh, sharh as-sadr. And 
although we talked about breathing and we talked about like the feeling of you can't breathe and claustrophobia and the feeling that someone is squeezing your chest and you can't breathe properly, here, the real effect upon this is an effect upon the heart. The real effect here is an effect that happens to the heart. Even though the chest, the whole chest is, is opened up or is crushed together, is pre there's pressure and claustrophobia, the effect is upon the heart. The effect is upon the heart. And the heart, when it feels that kind of pressure, it gets al-qalaq, it gets extreme worry. And al-ham, anxiety, and al-gham, sadness and depression, all of those come. And anyone who has suffered uh, from clinical depression or has suffered from extreme depression, subhanAllah, they can attest to the feeling like someone is squeezing your chest. And Allah Azza wa Jal gave the opposite of this to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alam nashrah laka sadrak. Didn't we expand for you, make open for you, make easy for you your chest? I.e. we made your heart full of light. We made it, we removed your anxiety and your worries. And we gave you rahatun qalbi, rahatan qalbiya. We gave you your heart became at peace and your heart became tranquil. And some of them, uh, among them, Al-Imam Ibn Jarir Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he explained that this sharh is what Allah relieved the burdens of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with was Al-Islam and Al-Iman and Al-Huda. And the scholars of tafsir, they have different expressions. Some of them said, Al-Ta'a wal-Iman. Ibn Jarir, he said, Al-Huda wal-Iman. Ibn Jarir, he said, guidance and Iman. Some of them said, obedience and Iman. And all of these uh, statements are mutaqaribah. They're close to one another because the reality is that it is Islam, guidance, Iman, obedience to Allah that opens up a person's chest and removes their worries and their concerns and their anxiety. And that's why Allah Azawajal said, وَمَنْ أَعْرَضَ عَنْ ذِكْرِي فَإِنَّ لَهُ مَعِيشَةً ضَنْكَ That whoever turns away from my remembrance will have a very hard and restricted and difficult life. Subhanallah, have you ever thought about this ayah, Surah Taha, and then thought about the state of the disbelievers? Do you see them all like with that... Uh, with that extreme you know, pressure on the chest. But you see them living such luxurious lives. Some of them are billionaires, millionaires. They have everything in the world that they would want. And yet, every one of them, I swear by Allah, the one that there is no God but Him. Every single one of those people, they suffer from Deeq al-Sadr. They suffer from extreme pressure upon them and anxiety and al-ham wal-ghamm. Except fi hala wahida, in one situation which you can mention, and that is that Allah Azza wa Jal opens up for them the dunya so that they completely forget about Allah as a punishment. As a punishment. So it can be, there are two ways to explain this, that how the believer feels this inshirah sadr and the disbeliever feels this extreme pressure and hardship. There are two ways to explain this. One is to say, 
that the reality of the disbeliever in their heart is that they feel this worry and anxiety. No matter what they have in the dunya, no matter how much, and we're going to talk later on about how people, uh, somebody might drink alcohol just to forget the misery that they live in. And they might be a millionaire, they might have everything in the dunya that they need. They might have every kind of goodness in the dunya in terms of their, you know, their worldly life. But they end up drinking or they take drugs because they're miserable inside. That's one way of speaking about woman Whoever turns away from my remembrance will have that hard and tough and extremely, you know, depressed life. Even though this can also apply to the Akhirah as well. But the evidence from Alam Nashrah Laka Sadrak and the fact that this applies to the Prophet and those who follow him, it does indicate that turning away from Islam will give you that depression and sadness. So we said one thing is that that depression is present within the Kuffar, Haqiqatan, in reality. However, we don't necessarily see that from them because their body is in a state of of ease and their body is in a state of blessings to just forget about, you know, just to, to cover up what the heart is really feeling. And the other thing is that one of the most severe punishments of Allah Azza wa Jal, that Allah can punish a person with, and we seek Allah's refuge from that, is that Allah opens up for them the dunya. Allah Azza wa Jal opens for them the whole of the dunya and He makes them forget. He makes them forget. Allah Azza wa Jal, He told us in Surah Al-An'am, so when they forgot about what they were reminded, when they left, they turned away from the remembrance of Allah, we opened up for them the doors of everything. And we gave them everything. We opened up for them the doors of everything. Until when they became happy with what they were given, we seized them suddenly. And all of their hopes were cut off. Everything was cut off. Everything for them was cut off. It was cut off from them. So it is possible also to say that Allah might open up the dunya and remove this feeling temporarily from some of the disbelievers as a punishment to make them not realize their need of Allah and to make them even greater in misguidance and disobedience. Out of the justice of Allah Azza wa Jal and His wisdom. Likewise, one of the things that causes, so from the things that causes ضيق الصدر, it causes the heart to become stressed and it causes anxiety and worry. They are sins and shahawat. Your sins and your desires, your sins and your desires, and your sins and your desires become like a prison for you. And that's why it's reported from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ta'ala, that he said the real prison, when he was imprisoned, he was imprisoned ta'ala, and he suffered greatly. And subhanAllah, he said, the real prison, sijan al-haqiqi, sijan al-qalb. The real prison is the prison of the heart. If your heart is in prison, it doesn't matter how free your body is. And Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he has some poetry on that. He said, Harabu min al-riqqi lahu 
فبولوا برق النفس والشيطاني سبحان الله الإمام ابن القيم he has some poetry in this in his نونية he said they ran away from the slavery that they were created for and so they became slaves to themselves and slaves to the shaytan wallahi wallahi subhanallah the real prison is the prison in your heart if you are in prison in your heart it doesn't matter how free you are and that's why all of this call to freedom in the west from the western countries that call for freedom wallahi they call for freedom of the body and imprisonment of the heart but islam calls for freedom of the heart for your heart to become free for your heart to have sharh sadr for your chest to become free of anxiety and worry that can only come with islam as for the call to freedom and the call to disobey allah in the name of freedom to disobey allah in the name of freedom this is nothing more than slavery to the shaitan and slavery to the shahawat to your desires and slavery to your nafs and that's when a person is really truly enslaved and that's why you see these people and wallah they call to freedom and they scream the words freedom from the rooftops and you see them to be the most enslaved of all people and there are no people on the face of this earth who are in more slavery than these people who call to freedom because in reality they don't call to freedom of the heart they don't call for the chest to be free instead they call for slavery to the nafs and slavery to the shaitan and there is no freedom in what they call to and that's why for example they talk about a woman being free and they try to free muslim women and so on like the the expressions they use about how muslim women are like slaves and enslaved and oppressed and they want to free them from their oppression harabu min ar-riq alladhi khuliqu lahu fabulu bi-riq an-nafsi wash-shaytan they're running away from slavery to Allah and enslaving them instead to the shaitan. Fawallahi ya Abdullah, wa ya Amatullah, O servant of Allah, you are a slave. La mahala, you no way to get out of it. Inevitably, I promise you, you're a slave. But you choose. You want to be a slave to Allah, or you want to be a slave to the shaitan. You have a choice. But wallah, la mahala, it's inevitable that you will be a slave. You must be a slave. But either you're a slave to the shaitan. Or either you're a slave to Ar-Rahman Jalla fi So this is part of what this surah tells us. It tells us that the shahawat, the desires, the sins, that's what causes Deeq al-Sadr. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal opened up for the Prophet his chest because of the state of Iman, of his Iman, the perfection of his Iman and his obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's going to come in the subsequent ayahs. وَوَضَعْنَا anka wizrak. And we removed for you your sins and your burdens. Because those were the sins that a person does and the desires that a person follows. That's what causes your chest to be constricted. And that's what causes you to be sad and to have worry in reality. And this also tells us something. Or there's another point we can bring here as it relates to sharah al-sadr. The chest being opened up. And you feeling relaxed and, and free of worry because of your obedience to Allah. Is that subhanAllah, when you see someone, even a person who is weak in Iman. You know, they're, they're Muslim, but they're weak in Iman. Or you can also give the example for a non-Muslim, it's even more of an example. But let's just take the example of a Muslim who is struggling, not, not obedient to Allah Azza wa Jal. Muslim, but not obedient to Allah Azza wa Jal. And that person 
when something bad happens to them, when something negative happens to them, something bad happens, or they struggle, they have a problem happen in their life or a calamity, how do they feel? They feel extreme anxiety, extreme worry, extreme panic. How does the Muslim who is obedient to Allah feel? When a calamity happens, it's like there's almost no difference between it and between the time of ease because of how easy, that, how open the chest is and how obedient the person is to Allah Azza wa Jal. They don't have that anxiety and that worry and that panic. Generally speaking, can if we say that in reality, no human being is free of Alham. And that's why it is reported in some of the hadith that the most, the most truthful of names are Harith and Hammam. Hammam, the one who's always concerned about something. Because all of us have concern. But the one whose concern is the Akhirah. And their worry is the Akhirah. And their anxiety is the Akhirah. And their panic is over the Akhirah. Wallah, whatever happens to them in the dunya, la yubalu. Doesn't make any difference to them. Because their concern and their worry and their panic is over the Akhirah. And that's as much as you, you know, <laughs> we're not trying to, uh, what's the word? We're not trying to set a standard that nobody can keep to. It's up to, according to your ability and according to, you know, we all slip, we all fall down, we all have times where we don't quite match that standard. And ultimately, the true standard of this is only for the Prophet Al-Kamal huna lin-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This perfection here is for the Prophet It's for the Prophet And as for us, we have a hav of it. We have a piece of it. According to how much we fit that description of obedience and iman and nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next point I would like to make still on this first ayah is that just like Allah Azza wa Jal relieved the anxiety of the Prophet and made his heart content, likewise, this is what the Sharia of Islam does for a believer. The Sharia, the rules and the laws of Islam. Islam is a religion of make of of ease and a religion that makes you content and a religion that brings you peace and tranquility. And from this is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, فَمَن يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَن يَهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدَرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ Whoever Allah wants to guide, He makes sharh of His sadr for Islam. He opens His chest to accept Islam. Islam is a religion of ease. Islam is a religion of yusr. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ Allah wants ease for you. He doesn't want to make things difficulty for, difficult for you. Or he doesn't want to make difficulty for you. This religion is easy. And this religion is full of things which bring you tranquility and peace and happiness and remove anxiety and worry from you. And we relieved from you the wizard, the burdens. The burdens, no doubt, are sins. Uh, as Allah Azawajal said, وَهُمْ يَحْمِلُونَ أَوْزَارَهُمْ عَلَىٰ ظُهُورِهِمْ أَلَىٰ سَاءَ مَا يَزِرُونَ Surah Al-An'am They carry their burdens upon their backs. What an evil burden it is that they carry. And those are, those are the sins and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean that Allah Azawajal 
relieved the Prophet of his burden. We relieved that burden from you. Here, uh, many of the scholars of tafsir, they quote the statement of Allah that Allah might forgive for you what has proceeded from your sins and what is to come. I addressing the Prophet وسلم, that we have indeed given you a great conquest, a great fatah. So that Allah might forgive what has preceded of your sins and what is yet to come of those sins. Now here, it makes sense to talk about, and indeed if you look at the different scholars, the different statements of the scholars of tafsir here, what you see is that the mas'ala, the issue comes back to the issue of whether the prophets sin or not. Do the prophets sin? Or not, and did our Prophet Muhammad did he sin or not? Those who said the prophets didn't sin, how did they explain the statement? We relieved this burden from you. They still said the burden is sin, that they didn't differ, that the wizard here is sin. But they said that this refers to the time before the prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad. The Prophet Muhammad was not upon the polytheism of the Arabs but he wasn't in the same state as he was after prophethood. And so they said that this refers to the burdens and the sins from the time of prior to Islam. However, uh, the reality here is that the prophets, they did commit sins. And there is really no other way to explain the many ayat that reference this in the Qur'an and the many ahadith that reference this in the Sunnah. For example, For Allah to forgive you what has preceded of your sins and what is to come. How do we explain the meaning of what is to come if we say that this refers only to the things the Prophet did prior to becoming a prophet. This also is, is takalluf in this, there is a bird, it's just, it's unnecessary. Rather, uh, there are explicit ayat, and Adam disobeyed his Lord, he sinned. Adam disobeyed his Lord, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave Adam. Uh, and we know the principle that a person might commit a sin and be closer to Allah after it than before it. Because of the tawbah that they did and the repentance that they did and the fact that Allah Azza wa Jal replaces the bad deeds with good. But if we stop there, we still haven't given the full story because you can't just say the prophets committed sins and leave it there. We have to put some restrictions in there because otherwise there are other evidences and there are other issues that we are going to have to deal with. So the restrictions include, first of all, the sins of the prophets are from the minor sins, not from the major sins. They're from the minor sins, not from the major sins. So there are none of the major sins. The prophets, alayhim salatu wassalam, they are ma'asumin, they are protected from the major sins. Even the minor sins, there are minor sins the prophets are protected from. 
and those are the sins that, that entail khawarim al-muru'ah. They entail uh, taking away from a person's uh, etiquette and manners and standards and, and people looking down on them and people seeing that they, you know, that this is all, you know, this is what, that's a really, you know, uh, what's the word? From khawarim al-muru'ah, from the things which are really bad etiquette. So the prophets are also prevented from the sins which are from khawarim al-muru'ah, from the bad uh, etiquettes that the people would consider to be. Um, or some of the scholars, they don't say khawarim al-muru'ah. They say ma yusqitul muru'ah, that which completely causes them to, you know, to fall in the eyes of the people, that which causes them to to fall down in the eyes of, in the eyes of the people, because this is not conducive to their message, if they do things that consider uh, them to fall down in the eyes of the people, even if they are from the sagair, from the minor things, and that's why some of the things that are said about the prophets والسلام, in the Bible. Um, that these these things are impossible, either because they're from the kabair, like drunkenness and so on, um, or even if they are not from the kabair, even if we say that alcohol wasn't prohibited at that time and it's not from the kabair, then it it's from the things that yusqit al muru'ah. It lower it makes the person low. You know, could you imagine to come to a prophet and find that prophet sprawled out drunk on the floor? That even if alcohol was allowed at that time, even if we say it was allowed at that time, for you to go and see a prophet, uh, you know, this would never happen. For you to see a prophet sprawled out drunk on the floor, even if alcohol was allowed, because it would take away from that in the sight of the people. The people would no longer respect them, no longer honor them. As for the other small sins that a person might fall into that don't cause them to be to lose their status in the eyes of the people, then there are more conditions also. From the conditions are that they will never have uh, israr, they will never continue to do that sin all the time. They will never continue. Because when you continually do a minor sin without caring about it, then it becomes a major sin. So it will never be something they continue to do all the time. And they will not also do it uh, and cost like deliberately to rebel against Allah. They will not do it deliberately to rebel against Allah, but it will it will come in Bab al Khata from the point of view of making a mistake or not realizing uh, and so on. And likewise, Allah will not be silent about it. Allah will not be silent about it. So the people don't take it as a sunnah or as a uh, sharia or as a part of the sharia. And if you look at any of the examples of this from the Prophet ﷺ, you will see that this can be applied to all of them. Just take the example, the famous example, Abasa wa Tawalla, that the Prophet ﷺ frowned and turned away. When a sincere man came to ask him, and he was busy giving da'wah to the nobles and the senior people, the, the people who were the, the, the big people in the society, and they were not being sincere. And a sincere man came to ask the Prophet ﷺ a question, the Prophet ﷺ frowned and he turned away. This, first of all, it's not from the Kaba'il, it's not from the major sins. Secondly, it's not from those things that will cause the Prophet ﷺ to lose, that people would no longer respect him or have dignity. Thirdly, you can see that it's genuine. The Prophet ﷺ did not 
turn away and frown because of uh, yani he did not turn away and frown because of a deliberate attempt to uh, to marginalize this person or whatever simply that the prophet sallallahu thought that he was he was busy trying to give da'wah to a group of people that he thought would have the biggest impact but allah azawajal told him that actually that person who was sincere was more deserving of your time and allah azawajal never let it go allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed ayat about it abasa wa tawalla and ja'ahu al-a'ma and so on and finally the Prophet never ever did that happen from him again So this is the reality of the Prophets uh, and their sins is that they're never from the Kabair they're never from the things that cause them to lose respect in the community Allah will not be silent about them those Prophets will not do them again and it's not something that is a, an act of deliberate and conscious rebellion against Allah but it's something that happens by an error, uh, a mistake uh, and so on and it's from the mercy of Allah that we see this from the prophets and the messengers so that we can understand how to cope with that in ourselves even though our sins are far greater and worse and often very deliberate and conscious and uh, often we continually do them and deliberately do them again and again and sometimes they're from the things that wallah, if the people knew the reality of the sins that we did like the poet said, he said he said that if the people knew the reality of my inner self, of what I'm really like, the people would refuse to give the salam to me in the street. And they would turn away from me and they would no longer be my friends. They would no longer accompany me anymore. And after Allah had honored me, I would be disgraced. I would have disgrace after honor. That's the reality of, of, of our sins. So we, we learn and we observe how the Prophet used to be. He used to ask Allah's forgiveness 70 times in a day, despite the fact that, as we said, these basic principles, that he never did a single major sin, that he never did a minor sin continuously, that he never did something deliberately to rebel against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he never did anything that would take down from his, his, his status and, and responsibility in the eyes of the people and that Allah explained it and he conveyed it to the people after that and yet subhanAllah we see that he sought forgiveness 70 times in the day 70 times in the day subhanAllah and we need to follow this sunnah of the Prophet because our situation is far 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 worse it's incomparable the situation of the sins that we do and how the Prophet used to seek forgiveness 70 times a day. We relieve this burden from you. How did Allah relieve this burden from the Prophet? Allah forgave everything that had happened and everything that was going to happen from him. Some of the scholars who didn't hold this, they said that the Prophets don't sin. So how do they explain uh, How do they explain that the sins of the, the word sin is mentioned with regard to the Prophet They said that the word sin here it doesn't mean sin it just means that, that uh, when a person is on such a high standard of Iman 
and we just talk about a righteous person is on such a high standard of iman and they start to slip a little bit for example they used to pray uh, half of the night and now they pray a third of the night or they only pray a quarter of the night then they said this is like a sin fi haqi it's like a it resembles a sin in their regard it resembles a sin so they said the word sin here it doesn't mean sin uh, but what it means is that that uh, the the times when the prophet sallallahu if it dipped below the the perfect standard that he had set sallallahu alaihi in the nawafil in the ihsan in the optional deeds uh, then this is what is meant by it that it doesn't mean a sin but it means falling short in the uh, or falling short in the optional deeds like this is really this is a burdensome tafsir that is not needed and it doesn't really go in accordance with what we know from the Quran and the Sunnah so there's no need for us to to burden ourselves and try to twist and turn ourselves out of this issue but in reality the issue is simple the matter is easy it's not difficult inshallah ta'ala الذي أنقض ظهرك أنقض here uh, it comes from uh, naqid and naqid is the sound that a animal makes when it is burdened with a very heavy load if you have a camel and you put very very heavy weight on the back of the camel extremely heavy weight on the back of the camel it makes a noise like a groan and that groan noise that it makes from the burden of the weight that is what is meant that those sins they caused you to be burdened they were heavy for you and they caused a big weight on you and they were hard for you to bear they were hard for you to manage and that's how a believer should feel in regard to their sins they should feel their sins to be a burden that actually causes them pain and causes them weight the sins that made you feel so burdened like the example of the animal that you put too much weight on its back and it makes the noise from the burden that is placed upon it from the, the weight that it has to carry whereas the person who isn't aware of their sins and a person who doesn't think about the sins that they do subhanAllah that person in reality it's like their sins don't matter to them it's like they don't have any or it's like they don't feel the weight of them or the severity of them so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieved the Prophet from this. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave what had preceded and what was to come, and so it relieved that burden from the Prophet. And we raised up your mention. Dhikr, yani the people mentioning you or you being mentioned, it was raised up high. We raised up high your mention. Here, uh, the scholars, they have different opinions about this. But what you're going to hear about these opinions is these are really all of them. They are at tafsiru bil mithal. They're just examples because all of them are applicable. So Ibn Jarir, rahimahullah ta'ala, tabari rahmatullahi alayhi, he said that this is when the Prophet ﷺ is mentioned in the tashahud and the adhan. Subhanallah, the Adhan, they call out Ashhadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah. The name of the Prophet ﷺ is shouted from 
the minbar, from the uh, minara, from the minaret of every masjid all around the world. And the salah is going on, the adhan is going on all the time. In the tashahud, all the people sending salat and salam upon the Prophet all of the millions or billions of Muslims around the world, each one of them when they're praying, they're sending salat and salam upon the Prophet We raised up your, your mention. Ibn Jarir, he said in the tashahud and the adhan, Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, dunya wal akhirah. He said, in the dunya and the akhirah. And in, in every situation. Taib, how did Allah raise the mention of the Prophet in the dunya and the akhirah? It's said in the khutbah, when the khatib, he gives salat and salam upon the Prophet Ibn al-Qayyim, he mentioned this. It's said in the tashahud. As for the akhirah, it's mentioned al-maqam al-mahmud, shafa'atul uzma, the great shafa'ah intercession. When the people will go to the prophets and they will go from prophet to prophet and each prophet will say, nafsi, nafsi, myself, myself. It will go to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he will say, "Ana laha." This is my responsibility, and he will plead with Allah and intercede with Allah for the judgment to begin. So everyone, who, everyone, who is being judged from the ins and the jinn, from every group of people, from the believers and the disbelievers, all of them will praise the intercession of the Prophet sallallahu We raised your mention. It said. In the Salat and the Salam upon the Prophet Every time his name is mentioned And I want you to take this a principle Because there is, there are, subhanAllah There are evidences for the severity uh, Of the one that doesn't say As-Salatu was-Salam Upon the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam You're watching this video And we're mentioning the name of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam All of you should be saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam We know the hadith where the Prophet He got on the minbar And as he climbed each step He said, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen and one of them, the last one that Jibreel said that when the, the name of the Prophet is mentioned and that person doesn't say, doesn't say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He doesn't give Salat and Salam upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam فَدَخَلَ النَّارِ فَأَبْعَدَهُ اللَّهِ And he enters the fire, may Allah make him far away قُلْ Amin, Say Amin, and the Prophet said Amin. So it's not befitting for a person The Prophet mentioned the stinginess of the person who, when the name of the Prophet ﷺ is mentioned, he can't even bring himself to say ﷺ. What stinginess? The Prophet ﷺ brought you, brought you all of this good, transmitted it to you with hardship and difficulty. All of this religion of Islam that you have, all of these blessings from Allah, Allah ﷺ made the cause of that the Prophet ﷺ. You can't even bring yourself to say ﷺ after his name. For there's nothing more stingy than a person who when the Prophet's name is mentioned, he doesn't say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is one of the ways that Allah raised up the mention of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And also in the heavens. إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا Indeed, Allah and His angels, they send salah upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah and His angels, Allah mentions the Prophet in the Mala'ul A'la to the highest and the most noble of the angels. Allah mentions the Prophet. Allah mentions him. Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, O you who believe, sallu alayhi. Say salah upon him. Wasallimu taslima and say salam upon him. Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. It's also said the mention of the Prophet in the earlier scriptures in the in the kutub uh, sabiqah 
the previous scriptures that the fact that his name is mentioned in the previous scriptures we raised up your mention and all of these are true all of these are all of these are true all of these are true uh, that the Allah raised up the mention of the Prophet in all of these and that's why sometimes when you get different opinions in tafsir the opinions are from the point of view of amthila they're not actually different opinions they're just each scholar is giving a mithal an example which is different from the example the other scholar is giving we said many times you can reconcile between the opinions of the, the scholars in this uh, many times there is a way to reconcile between them but even when you feel like you can't reconcile like how can it be that uh, it's the it's a khutbah or it's the salah or it's the tashahud or it's the previous scripture it feels like you can't reconcile but actually these are just amsila examples for the same concept fa yusra for indeed with hardship comes ease indeed with hardship comes ease this is like all of these things here mentioned they are biqadr they're in accordance with a person's iman and obedience to Allah. How much the person is obedient to Allah, how much the person is in a state of iman, that is how much ease Allah will make for them. That's how much Allah will remove their burden. That's how much Allah will raise their mention because raising the mention is not only for the Prophet to an extent, i.e. the complete extent, that's for the Prophet mentioned in the previous books and Allah mentions to him in the Mala'ul A'la, the among the highest, and that his name is called out. But still, Allah raises the mention of the believers to the extent that they follow the uh, the prophets. And that's why the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, we see about them radiallahu anhum and we mention their name and we honor them and we you know we name our children after them and we name our masajid after them we raised up your mention because of each one in accordance with the extent that they followed the prophet so this is a, a beneficial point it's not the same the way that allah raised the remembrance the remembrance of the prophet is not the same as the way that allah raised the remembrance of abu bakr for example but each Muslim has a portion of that according to their obedience to Allah and the Sahaba is an excellent example of that. The fa here, فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Here it indicates that the fa here shows you that what is going to come here is related to what came before. The fa here, it ties the two together. So it tells you that what has come before is not, this is not a new topic. With, with hardship comes ease. And that's why some people make a mistake in this uh, tafsir of this ayah. Generally, among the regular people when we talk about this as Muslims, we often think that this is independent of the previous matters. Like, oh, Allah will always make easy ease for you after difficulty in every single thing and in every single way, regardless of whether you obey him or you don't obey him, regardless of whether you turn to him or you don't turn to him. That's not the meaning of the ayah. Here, the fa here is murtabit bima qablaha. It's, it link, it's linked to what came before it. So again, this is to the extent of iman and ta'a. It's true uh, generally as a principle, no doubt that Allah brings ease along with difficulty. That's a principle. But the more you come closer to Allah in obedience and Iman, 
the more ease Allah will make for you and the more you will feel this. Do we have an evidence for this? And do you have an evidence, Muhammad Tim, for what you're saying? Allah said, Whoever has taqwa of Allah, Allah will make for him a way out. So here Allah he brought the way out or he mentioned the way out in relation to the person's taqwa. The ease that will come, the relief from the problem in relation to the person's taqwa. But now we come to a very, very interesting point. And it's very, very, very interesting and it shows how much you should think about the Qur'an that why did Allah mention the ease twice and the difficulty twice? So the first thing is, some of the scholars, just to make it simple, just to give you the simple opinion first, they said this is ta'kid. It's lit ta'kid wal kathra. That Allah mentioned how much it happens and because of how much it happens and he emphasized it, that ease will come, ease will come. You know, just because it's going to happen a lot and because it's an emphasis. But Ammatul Mufassireen, the vast majority of the Mufassireen, and this is something that was mentioned by Imam Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, they took a different approach to this. They said that this is not limujarrad ta'kid. It's not only for ta'kid, for just for emphasizing. Rather, there is a difference between the usr and the yusr. Al-usr, it means hardship, difficulty. And al-yusr, it means ease. Yuridullahu bikum al-yusra wa la yuridu bikum al-usr. Allah wants to make easy for you. He doesn't want to make difficulty for you. What's the difference then? between these two. If you note here, al-usr is mentioned with al. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَ إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَ So usr is mentioned with al. And yusr isn't. يُسْرَ إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَ So al-usr is mentioned with al. And yusr isn't mentioned with al. And there is a principle, it's not an agreed principle, not everyone agreed, uh, agreed about it, but it's a principle that some of the scholars, they mention, and that is, if a word is repeated immediately in a sentence with al, it's the same thing, and without al, it's two different things. Go one more time. If a word is repeated with al, it's the same thing, and without al, it's two different things. So here, they took from this that al-usr is the same hardship. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى The usr here is, is one. إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى It's the same usr, the same hardship that is mentioned because of the al. But the yusra are both different. So two types of ease come for one type of difficulty because the usr has al and the yusr doesn't have al so they said that for two types of ease come with one type of difficulty and some of them said uh, like Imam Ibn Qayyim ta'ala, the meaning is ease will come before and ease will come after and as we said the scholars differed over this um, however we have a hadith and in reality, it's not befitting for us to differ over this matter when we have a hadith of the Prophet that states this explicitly. There will not, it's not possible for 
hardship to overcome two types of ease. It's not, it's not possible for hardship to overcome two things which are easy. And this is, in reality, it is close to being a nas in tafsir of the ayah. It's, 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 it doesn't really give us an opportunity to make tafsir of the ayah in any other way. That with every single difficulty will come two forms of ease or two matters of ease. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ It means so when you become free. When you finish your job, you, because al-faragh, it comes after shughl or al-shughl or al-shughl, both. Al-faragh, it comes after being busy. So once you've been busy with something, then you become faragh, faragta. You became free. I, you, you finished what you were busy with. So when you finish what you're busy with, fansab. Fansab. Enter into or start into something else. Here, uh, the scholars of tafsir, they have some different expressions about this. Some of them said, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنْ أُمُورِ الدُّنْيَا فَانْصَبْ إِلَى الْعِبَادَةِ فَانْصَبْ فِي الصَّلَةِ They said that when you finish with the matters of your dunya, you know, when you're finished with the things that you need to deal with in your dunya, you need to take care of some things, maybe you had to go to work, when you finish with those that work you had to do, فَانْصَبْ You get straight into your ibadah. Go straight into your prayers. And fansab here indicates a nashaq, getting involved into it with energy and, you know, like really sort of, you know, dive into it, jump into it, get right into it, get right into your prayers, get right into your acts of worship. And some of them, they mentioned uh, this in relation to a hadith, la salata bi hadarati ta'am there is no prayer while food is uh, has been served, nor when a person is holding the desire to go to the bathroom, holding the desire to go to the toilet. It's not it's not right for a person to pray when they need the bathroom, and it's not right for a person to pray when food has been placed in front of them. If there's a time, if there's still time for them to to pray after that, because a person has to get rid of the matters of the dunya. Get, get those matters of the dunya aside and then get right into your ibadah. That's one uh, one of the wujuh, one of the options for the tafsir of this ayah. And some of them said, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ أَوِ الْغَزْوِ أَوِ الْجِهَادِ If you become free after praying and after uh, fighting for the sake of Allah, then... What should you do? Fansab fajtahid fi dua. Go and make dua. Like you've just finished your jihad, you've just finished salah, you've just finished a big ibadah. Make dua. You know, make dua. Fansab and he fajtahid fi dua. Ask Allah to accept it from you. And that, of course, has to be done in accordance with the Sunnah of the Prophet. And we mentioned it's not from the Sunnah of the Prophet after the salah has finished to make the dua. And those scholars who mentioned the dua here, they mentioned it in the tashahud. And that's why some of them, they mentioned specifically that the meaning of this 
Al-Shaabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned this, إِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنَ التَّشَهُدِ When you finish the tashahud, make dua. As for making dua immediately after the salah, on a regular, consistent basis, this is not from the sunnah of the Prophet like some people do, they finish the salah and they make dua like that. This is not from the sunnah of the Prophet And That's why Al-Shaabi said, إِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنَ التَّشَهُدِ When you finish the tashahud. And some of them, they said, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ فَانْصَبْ فِي أُخْرَى If you finish an ibadah, get straight into another ibadah. And this is, wallahi, from the most important of the matters of the Muslim and the signs of acceptance from Allah and the signs of hidayah from Allah. Allah said, وَيَزِيدُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ اَهْتَدَوْهُدَى Allah gives an increase in guidance to those who are guided. And that shows you that when you've done an ibadah, straight away get into another ibadah. That's how the Prophet ﷺ used to be. And that's the reason of the for the inshirah al-sadr. This is all connected. That's the reason why his chest was, why he had that, that such relaxation and calm in his heart and such tranquility in his heart. Because when he finished an ibadah, he got right into another ibadah. He finished one ibadah, he got straight into another ibadah. From one to the next. فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنْ عِبَادَةٍ فَانْصَبْ فِي أُخْرَى When you have finished an ibadah, get right into the next ibadah. Ibn Mas'ud, uh, it's narrated from him, that he said, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ مِنَ الْفَرَائِضِ فَانْصَبْ فِي قِيَامِ اللَّيْلِ If you have finished your obligatory acts, your obligatory prayers, your obligatory prayers, then start praying Qiyam al-Layl. SubhanAllah. Look at the situation of the Salaf, Salaf of this Ummah, Rahimahumullahu Ta'ala wa radiyallahu anhum wa artahum. May Allah have mercy on them, may Allah be pleased with them. The situation of the Salaf of this Ummah. When they would finish an ibadah, they would start another one. I'm finished my ibadah, let's go. Next ibadah. SubhanAllah. This is a sign of Al-Qabul of Allah's acceptance from your deeds. You finish your salah, you start doing dhikr. You finish your dhikr, you find another ibadah to do. And sometimes you have the things from the dunya. So when you finish those things from the dunya, jump right back, back into the ibadah again. Always constantly in a state of ibadah. Even in the things of the dunya, make your intention an intention of ibadah, an intention of worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal, and uh, an intention of getting near to Allah. For example, a person is working, and the niyyah is that I'm working so that I can feed my family, so that I don't have to beg, so that I don't have to uh, steal or lie or cheat. I'm working to get near, so that I can use my money to pay my zakah, to give sadaqah, to help the needy. So that intention is a kind of ibadah. When you finish an ibadah, jump right into another one. And as you can see, all of these, these are, uh, these are all amthila. This is a tafsiru bil mithal. It's tafsir by example because all of them are true. And this is the real, this is the situation of the mu'min, of the believer. And I, I, I use the word mu'min deliber deliberately because not every Muslim is given the tawfiq to be able to do this. May Allah Azza wa Jal give you and I the tawfiq to be from those people. May Allah give us the tawfiq to be from those people. That when you finish an ibadah, 
you get straight into another one. You finish an ibadah, you start another one. You're done with this ibadah, right into the next one. You start something from the dunya which you had to do, you quickly finish it and you get right into an ibadah again. And this tells us that a Muslim doesn't have free time. A Muslim doesn't have a free time. That's why when they asked uh, Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah ta'ala, that when will you rest? When will you rest? When my feet are in Jannah. That's ultimately, that's the situation of the believer. When are you going to rest and relax? I'll rest and relax when my both feet are in Jannah, by the permission of Allah and by His mercy. But until then, whatever I can do to work, whatever I can do, you know, you don't, you don't, the Muslim doesn't relax, doesn't take it easy until they achieve that, that burning desire that they have for Jannah. We ask Allah for al-firdaus al-a'la min al-jannah. We ask Allah for the highest place in paradise. وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ And to your Lord direct your hope. Subhanallah, this is Sifatul Mu'min. This is the description of the believer that their hope is attached to Allah Azza wa Jal. And if you put these two together, this is, you know, this is Al-Mu'minuna Haqqa, the true believers. فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ That their heart, when they finish an ibadah, they write into another ibadah, and their heart and their hopes and their wishes and their dreams, everything is attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ so they don't have any, they don't wish for anything that is in the hands of the people. And this, وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ It contains ikhlas and niyyah لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ It contains purifying the intention and the sincerity towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it contains الفقر إلى الخالق لا إلى الخلق ولا إلى المخلوق it contains feeling your desperate need for your creator, not your desperate need for creation. And wallah, what a sad situation that people are who are in this situation and all of us fall into it from time to time. Because remember, the only one who has the perfection in this is the Prophet And so on. The only one who gets 100% of this is the Prophet but how we see the people who are always worried about other people, what other people think, and always trying to get things off other people. You know, this guy's going to come and clear my debt. This person's going to come and help me out. Well, if I can reach this person and request, make a, make a talab, make a request from them, they're going to help me and give me what I need. I cut your heart off from all the people and make your heart only attached to Allah. That if... SubhanAllah, I have a debt. I'm not going to crave for somebody to come along. And I know it's natural. You have that. You say like, oh, you know, SubhanAllah, maybe someone will come. Maybe someone will help. I don't want someone to come and help. I want to just attach your hopes and your dreams to Allah. Just attach your hopes and dreams to Allah. And that doesn't mean that Allah will not send a person to help you out of a particular situation you're in. It could be a debt or a difficulty or a problem you're in or calamity. Allah might send a particular person. There are some statements from the Salaf, that Allah created people 
to relieve the problems that some of the people go through, the needs, like the, the, the needs people have. You see that person, Shul or Shagil, he's always busy. She's always busy helping people out and trying to get them out of their problems. But ultimately, your heart, your attachment, your raghba, your rahba, your hope and your fear, is all of it is for Allah. And this ayah is a dalil that al-raghba is from al-ibadat. That the hope you have that is for Allah, that is from the ibadat. It's not allowed for you to direct that to other than Allah. Now we're not talking about the hope that you might have. Oh, I hope that my someone will visit me. Oh, I hope that this will... That's not like what we mean. But the hope that is for Allah, the true hope and true dependence that you have, that is only for Allah. And it's not halal, it's not allowed for you to direct that hope that is only for Allah to other than Allah. Nor is it allowed for you to direct the fear that is only for Allah to other than Allah. These are only for Allah Jalla fi ula. And what's beautiful about this, if a person is sincere to Allah, a person of Tawheed, and they take away all of the attachment to other than Allah, and they don't have any desire for what's in the people's hands. I don't want what my neighbor has. I don't want their car. I don't want their house. I don't want their money. I don't want what's in the hands of the people. I want what is with Allah Azza wa Jalla. If a person is like that, then this is the reason for your chest to get relief and to feel tranquil and to feel at peace. You can never ever feel at peace when you crave what's in the hands of the people. You can never ever feel You will never feel this while you crave for what's in the hands of the people. While you cry for what's in the hands of the people, while you covet what's in the hands of the people, you will never ever ever feel complete peace and tranquility. That will only come when you leave what is with the people. And you leave, cut off your heart from them. This, I wish someone will come and do this for me. And I wish that I could get someone to do that for me. And I wish this person would help me. And I wish this person would give me. Cut it out. And put your heart completely, attach it. All your hopes and your dreams and your wishes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Spotlight reminds me, you know when you see these cartoons and these evil things that they, they put out where a person gets three wishes like that story of Alauddin, Aladdin, and the person gets three wishes. SubhanAllah, look at the misery of these people. Allah Azza wa Jal gives you unlimited wishes. Look at three wishes. Who said three wishes? Look at the misery of these people, how stingy they are. And even the, those people, they don't have it in their hands to give you the wish that you have anyway. They give you three wishes. Wallahi, they don't have the ability to even fulfill one of them for you. And Allah Jalla fi Ula gives you unlimited wishes and he fulfills every single one of them for you. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah fulfills every one of them. Subhanallah wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. How high is Allah and perfect over what the people associate in partners with him? That they attach their wishes and their hopes and their dreams to bottles and ta'aweed and uh, charms and uh, people and the jinn and the shayateen and they ask them to fulfill their hopes and their dreams and wallahi even if they offer you three wishes they can't even give you one they can't even fulfill one single of your wishes and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you an unlimited amount of dua all the hopes you have all the dreams you have all the wishes you have you just ask Allah again and again Allah gives you unlimited amount 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is Qadir. He's able. He is Al-Qadir. He's infinitely and perfectly able to give every single one of you your hopes and your dreams and your wishes. So make your raghba, your hopes, and make your rahba and your fear towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you make dua, make your hopes and your fears towards Allah. Don't make it towards anyone else. And if you do this, then you will get that inshirah sadr. You will get the effect of alam nashrah laka sadrak. Al-Shatibi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned a qa'idah, a principle. And the principle that he mentioned, we've alluded to it earlier, is that a Muslim, that whatever is for the Prophet Allah gave to the Prophet and mentioned that he gave to the Prophet in the Qur'an, the, the followers of the Prophet have a share of it or a portion of it according to the extent that they follow the Prophet And this was also mentioned by Imam Ibn Qayyim According to the amount that they follow the Prophet According to the amount that they follow the Prophet So the only one who gets 100% of what is mentioned in this surah is the Prophet أَلَمْ نَشْرَحْ لَكَ صَدْرَكَ وَوَضَعْنَا عَنْكَ وِزْرَكَ الَّذِي أَنْقَضَ ظَهْرَكَ وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ 100% of that is for the Prophet But you can have your share. And the way you get your share is by al-ittiba'. The more you follow the Prophet the more of a share of that you will get uh, the more of that you will experience in your own life. And Ibn al-Qayyim, ta'ala, he also mentioned the talazum, that these, the, these things that are mentioned in the beginning of the surah, they are mutalazimat, the talazum, the connection and the fact that they are, each of them uh, connects to the other. So for example, we talked about the, uh, the way that Allah brought tranquility and brought uh, ease and brought a feeling of being able to breathe you know like your chest is opened and you have so much you just feel relaxed and you feel tranquil and then Allah mentioned the wizard the sins that burden a person's back and weigh down on a person's back and Allah mentioned raising up the person's remembrance and and, and so on for, for the Prophet look at the effect of sins upon the heart and look at the effect of the heart as a motivation for people to commit sin. We mentioned the effect of the sins upon the heart, that the sins cause dhiq al-sadr. We mentioned that. But look at it the other way. Like Ibn al-Qayyim, he mentioned the talazum here. Both of them work. The reason people commit sins is because of their anxiety and their depression that exists in their heart. And we're going to give you an example of that with al-khamr, alcohol. And no one said it better. And Allah knows best than Abu Nawas. Uh, he said, وَكَأْسًا شَرِبْتُ عَلَى لَذَّةٍ وَأُخْرَى تَدَاوَيْتُ مِنْهَا بِهَا What a miserable situation of that poet and what a miserable situation of the people like this. This is the shaqi. This person is shaqi haqqan. They deserve to be called wretched. He said, a glass of wine that I drink for pleasure. And then I drink another one to, to wash away the pain and the sickness caused by the first. Well, I give him one thing, he told the truth. 
give him one thing, he, took, he, he spoke the truth. That the people, subhanAllah, you see them and they go out and they drink alcohol, they get drunk, they feel limited happiness, a limited relief from their wretched, miserable, pathetic lives that they live. And then they get drunk and then what do they do? They wake up in the morning and they have a hangover, and they throw up, they feel ill, they feel sick. So what do they do the next night? They go out and they drink again to relieve the sickness that was caused by their drinking the first night. And all of it is just to escape this miserable life that they have, this wretched life that they have. Well, they are shaqi, they're the people who are shaqi. They're not Sa'id. They're not the people who are happy. The Sa'id is the one who obeys Allah, the one who tries to relieve those and reduce those sins, the one that turns to Allah in repentance, the one who is patient with the difficulties and knows that the ease will come, the one who finishes an ibadah and starts another ibadah after that, the one who attaches all of their hopes and fears to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the one who is Sa'id, truly happy, happy in this world and happy in the next. And as for the disbelievers, and the fusaq, the, the, the disobedient ones, and those people who defy Allah and disobey Him, for wallahi, those people are just doing so to escape the sadness that is in their heart. And they sin just to escape the sadness. And there's no difference between that in drinking alcohol, in zina. It's exactly the same thing. The same thing. People do it to bring themselves one minute of happiness. Five minutes of happiness to escape the misery and the sadness and the depression that exists in their heart. Woman Whoever turns away from my remembrance will have a miserable, wretched, hard, tough life. And that's the situation of those who disobey Allah and those who turn away from Allah. And just like we can say that all of us have a share, every believer, inshallah, has a share of this. So also we have a share a little bit in, in, to a certain extent in, in the matters of, of the sins uh, that we do and the fact that when we sin, so many times we sin because of the, the anxiety and the worry and the, you know, the, the lack of tranquility and the lack of satisfaction in our hearts and we're craving satisfaction, we're craving shahawat. So we sin because of that. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal for al-afu wa We ask Allah to pardon us. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to save us and to keep us safe. And as we said, فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala He mentioned the ease that will come before, the ease that will come after. So take glad tidings. Be happy. Take glad tidings from Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah Azza wa Jal made you from the people of Iman. Take a bushra from Allah that inshallah Allah made you from the people of Iman. That Allah guided you to Islam. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made you from the people who obey Allah to the best of your ability. That's a, that is a reason for you to feel at peace in your heart. That's a reason for you to be able to breathe easy. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you to that. But you can't take away from the fact that you don't have a guarantee for that guidance. You don't have a guarantee that it will be accepted from Allah. And you don't have a guarantee that it will last forever. So you have to keep your hopes up, but you also have to keep your fear and direct those to Allah Azza wa Jal and from the best advice that anyone could ever be given. When you finish an act of worship, jump straight into another one. When you finish from being busy in the dunya, get straight into an act of worship and put all of your hopes towards your Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
That's what Allah made easy for me to mention, and Allah knows best. Wassalatu wassalam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com.